Please pray with me. Oh God, you are holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty. Yet you love sinners like us. You draw near to us. You redeem us so that we might draw near to you and commune with you. You invite us to rest in you. Help us, Father, to develop and daily refine the skill of living by faith, trusting you for every need. Right now, Lord, I need your power to speak forth your word effectively and accurately. Fill me, Holy Spirit, and prepare the hearts and minds of all who hear this lecture to apply the truth of your word and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It is in his name that I pray. Amen. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Have you ever responded to this beautiful invitation from Jesus? His invitation to rest? We could all use some rest right now. For almost a full year, we have listened to rantings and ravings about the horrors of 2020. There is an expectation that just because that year ended and we have turned the page to 2021, that everything will magically improve. The problem is we carry into the new year the same sinful fallen people we have always been. We do not need a new year. We need a beautiful Savior. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul proclaims that we have been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. That is true rest for our souls. Are you truly at peace with God? Are you daily resting in his power, his provision, his protection, and his peace? Or are you frantically working to earn God's favor? In Galatians chapter 3, Paul is appalled at the choice that the Galatian Christians were making. They were embracing the never-ending, never-satisfying works of the law rather than the true rest that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul employs everything he knows about God and his promises to make a legal argument against the power of the law to save us from our sin. Then he argues for the power of the law to draw us to saving grace, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. His brilliant argument shows the Galatians and us that true rest is the fruit of salvation by faith alone. We will look at how Paul drives his truth home in Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 26. We have two divisions, arguments against the law 
an argument for the law. So our first division is argument against the law. Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 14. If you open your Bibles, you can follow along with me. Now this chapter of Galatians is a highly debated chapter. One of the more complicated of all Paul's writings. So I will do my best to untangle it and mine a few nuggets of truth. Ultimately, we must rest in what we understand and trust God with what we do not understand. With that said, let's jump in. Verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It is before your eyes that Jesus Christ was portrayed publicly as crucified. Now, normally, Paul addresses his beloved churches in his letters with loving kindness. Here, he begins with a rebuke. Paul is astounded, amazed, utterly gobsmacked at the Galatians. These people are foolish, bewitched even. He cannot fathom how they got to this point. When he says it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, he's not saying that they had personally witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. What he is saying is that he so vividly presented the gospel to them that he portrayed Christ crucified. It was like they were there at the cross. To preach Christ crucified is the most powerful way to preach the gospel, and it never leaves Christ on the cross. It also preaches him as the risen and living Savior who grants forgiveness to everyone who believes in him. The Galatians knew the cost of the salvation they so freely received. Having received Jesus by faith, they were believers, sinners, now at peace with God. What happened? Why trade peace with God? True rest for the works of the law. I can almost see Paul grabbing them by the shoulders and shaking them, saying, listen, listen to the truth of the gospel again. To argue that the salvation they had already received needed nothing added to it. Paul uses a few pointed questions. First, in verse 1, he says, Who has bewitched you? Now, the surface answer is the Judaizers. These false teachers, if you recall, had come from Jerusalem to persuade these Gentile believers that the works of the law meaning God's commands recorded in the law of Moses, were necessary for their justification or salvation from sin. They preached a Jesus plus gospel. The plus they added to salvation was circumcision. Paul intentionally uses the word bewitched because behind all false teaching is the father of lies. Satan. And one of his favorite strategies is to distort the truth to make false gospels attractive 
and the true gospel blurry and hard to grasp. Philip Ryken says that Christian doctrine is the battlefield where the most intense spiritual warfare takes place. You and I must have a firm grasp on the Christian doctrines taught in the Bible if we are to engage and prevail in the battle for the truth of the gospel. This is the primary reason we include doctrine in every single lesson of CEPC's women's Bible study. Both human ignorance and demonic lies were bewitching the Galatian church. In verses 2 through 5, Paul asks the next questions in rapid-fire succession. He says, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's questions are centered around one single issue, how a believer receives the Holy Spirit. Paul takes the Galatians back to the moment of their conversion when they first came to faith in Jesus Christ. They had received the Holy Spirit. This was evident in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that they had received, gifts like teaching, preaching, and healing. The Holy Spirit even worked miracles among them. Now this happened often when the gospel first spread to a new culture. And the Galatians were starting to display the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Evidence that the Holy Spirit indwelt them was undeniable. So Paul asked how they received the Holy Spirit. He gives them two possible answers. By works of the law or by hearing with faith. The phrase works of the law refers to keeping the Old Testament law. If the Holy Spirit came by the works of the law, it required perfect obedience to God's holy law. Perfect. Not one law broken ever. To hear with faith is to receive the Holy Spirit by faith alone in Christ alone. He alone has done all the work necessary for our salvation by living in perfect obedience to all God's laws. With his work complete, he sat down at the right hand of the Father Almighty. He rested. When you and I place our trust in him, we receive his righteousness, his perfect obedience, and rest from the works of the law. This is true rest, the fruit of salvation by faith alone. The Galatians received this rest from the works of the law as well as the indwelling Holy Spirit by faith alone. They did so 
long before the Judaizers arrived to add the works of the law to their salvation. In verses 6 and 7, Paul bolsters his argument by quoting Old Testament scripture. He uses Abraham, the Jews' favorite forefather, as his star witness. Verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul is quoting Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, to show that God's righteousness was imputed or credited to Abraham's account simply because he believed God. This is recorded in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Paul's choice of this Old Testament scripture is inspired. The Jews took great pride in being the sons of Abraham. The sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham was circumcision. This is in, uh, found in Genesis 17. But Paul goes back even further to when God promised to give the very aged Abraham and Sarah their own child, from whom would come descendants as numerous as the stars in the heavens. As impossible as it seemed, Abraham believed God, not just God's promise. He put his entire trust in God. By faith, Abraham rested in God's promises. So Paul says in verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In other words, all who have the same faith in God as Abraham are the true sons of Abraham. But the Judaizers demanded that the Galatians be circumcised and follow the law of Moses to become a true son of Abraham. They were saying that faith in God was not enough. They did not grasp the true meaning of faith. Simply put, faith is believing God and acting upon that belief. Nothing else. With the phrase sons of Abraham, the Judaizers were saying that salvation was a Jewish faith that required Jewish law. Paul quotes Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, to prove that Christ's salvation is for the Gentiles as well. In verses 8 through 9, it says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He's saying that all who are of faith are blessed because of that faith. Works are excluded. Before the law existed, Abraham was credited with righteousness, justified before God, saved from his sin. At that point, he was a Gentile, 
just like the Galatians. Paul's argument is brilliant. In verses 10 through 12, having just argued that the family of Abraham have the faith of Abraham and that faith is the pathway to blessing, Paul quotes three more Old Testament scriptures to prove salvation is by faith alone, not the law. Using Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, and Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. He says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be every everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Those who try to obtain the blessing by works of the law will be cursed, not saved, because no one can perfectly keep the law with perfect obedience, and that is what God requires. Jesus Christ is the only one who could and did keep God's law perfectly. Therefore, he alone could and did remove the curse of the law on the cross. Quoting Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, Paul declares that the righteous shall live by faith. By faith in Christ's perfect work, we are reconciled to our holy God. True rest is the fruit of that salvation because as verses 13 through 14 say, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul again uses an Old Testament scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 33, to prove the blessing of Abraham which is salvation from sin, comes by faith alone, in Christ alone. And with the blessing of salvation comes the promised indwelling Holy Spirit. This stands in direct contrast to the curse that comes through the works of the law. There is no rest found in the works of the law. True rest comes by faith alone. So our first truth is that true rest comes by faith alone, not the works of the law. How are the works of the law creeping into the gospel that you preach to yourself or to others? What sin are you believing that you can work to resolve or overcome on your own? The gospel must be relearned and rehearsed every day to remind us of how radically sinful we are, 
how utterly holy God is and our desperate need for a Savior. This informs how we live our daily lives. Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, who invites us to come and rest in Him, also tells us that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Nothing. We all struggle to die to the desires of our flesh so that we can selflessly love and care for others. That struggle ends when we believe that God is sufficient and we rest in the indwelling Holy Spirit. He alone gives us the power and the desire to live in ways that make the gospel attractive. He alone pours his love, his hope, his joy, and his very heart into our hearts. He alone is our sufficiency, and he alone gives us the true rest that comes by faith alone, not the works of the law. But what do we do with the law? God has seen fit to give us the Old Testament law in his holy, inerrant word. Why? Well, Paul helps us understand the role of God's law um, in the life of a believer in his next argument, the argument for the law. That's in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 26. Paul now shows the Galatians the proper relationship between the law of Moses and the promise made to Abraham. First, in verses 15 through 18, he says, To give a human example, brothers, even a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Paul illustrates his point using man-made covenants. He says that once they've been ratified or agreed to, no one could add to it or annul it. Paul applies the same truth to God's covenants with Abraham and Moses. In verse 16, he says that God entered into covenant with Abraham and his offspring. The word offspring, he says, refers to God's promised Messiah who would come to save his people from their sin. In verse 17, Paul contrasts the promise of God's covenant with Abraham to the role of his covenant with Moses which was established 430 years later. His covenant with Abraham was characterized by an unconditional, unilateral promise. His covenant with Moses was conditional 
and focused on the law which required participation of both covenant parties. Of verse 18, commentator Thomas Schreiner says, If the final inheritance is based on the law, the Mosaic covenant, then the promise of the covenant with Abraham is excluded. However, Paul just proved that God's promise to save and bless his people cannot be annulled or canceled by the covenant of conditional law or any other covenant. God's covenant or agreement with Abraham is a covenant of grace, not law. It was unconditional. No matter what they did or did not do, God would faithfully fulfill his promise to save his people. The law was conditional. To be blessed by God, perfect obedience to the law was required. This is a works-based salvation. The false teaching of the Judaizers failed to take in the wide-angle view of Scripture and its ultimate teaching on the promise of God's redemption. They zeroed in on the law without properly understanding its context and its purpose, and they came to the wrong-headed conclusion that one must be circumcised to be right with God. The truth is, is that faith alone in Christ alone is the only way to be right with God. No works required. But why then did God give us the law? Paul addresses this in verses 19 through 20. He says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So first Paul argues that the law was temporary added until the offspring, that is Jesus Christ, should come. The Judaizers acknowledged that God's promise in the Old Testament had been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Yet they failed to recognize him as the prophesied offspring of Abraham and the fulfillment of God's promise in Genesis 3.15 to redeem his people from their bondage to sin by faith alone. If they had made this connection, they would not have required circumcision for salvation. They would have instead preached rest, true rest from works, the fruit of salvation by faith alone. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the only path to peace with God. Such peace is true rest for sinners like you and me. Now, second, Paul says that the law required an intermediary or a middleman. It was received third hand, given from God to the angels to Moses. When more than one party needed to reach an agreement, an intermediary or a mediator was used. 
This was the case in the contract between God and Israel, and this covenant was conditional, dependent on both parties upholding their part of the agreement. By contrast, the promise came directly from God to Abraham, and it was unilateral, one-sided. It was God who covenanted with Abraham. Abraham was asleep when that happened. Therefore, no intermediary was needed. Bottom line, the law was inferior because it was temporary and required intermediaries, while the promise was permanent and required no intermediary. This proves the promise is greater than the law. In verses 21 through 22, Paul asks, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Nowhere in the law of Moses does it say that the law could give life. Eternal life is foretold in the Old Testament, but never as a result of obedience to the law. The law includes consequences or punishment for sin, as well as rewards for obedience, but not eternal life. Scripture clearly and consistently teaches that eternal life is not earned through obedience to the law. Ephesians 2.9 says that eternal life is a gift from God, not of works. If the promise of eternal life was based on obedience to the law, grace would evaporate and the entire message of Christianity would be invalidated. Thank God this is not possible. God's unconditional promise of grace to Abraham cannot be nullified. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. What God promises is as good as done, always, without fail. He saves us by grace alone. We do not work for our salvation. We rest in a finished salvation. This is the true rest that is the fruit of salvation by grace, by faith alone. The law's purpose is to reveal our sin. It exalts God's flawless character and his holy standard and helps us see how far we fall short of it. It reveals how badly we need a Savior. In verses 23 through 26, Paul illustrates how the law prepares the way for sinners to come to Jesus Christ by faith, using the image of a guardian. He says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. 
So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. The law held God's people captive imprisoned until faith was revealed. In verse 24, the Greek word for guardian is pedagogue. A pedagogue was a slave entrusted with the care of a wealthy man's child, kind of like a nanny. His responsibilities included bringing the child to school as well as administering strict discipline. Paul's illustration shows that the purpose of the law was to guard, guide, and train his people until Christ came and justified them by faith. Verse 26 is precious and worth memorizing. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Faith negates works of the law giving us true rest. This does not mean that the law is obsolete and meaningless. God's law is a revelation of his glorious and holy character, which beckons us to walk in obedience to it. When we do, we write his character on our hearts and increasingly grow into his likeness. Accomplished by faith, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This teaches us that true rest from the demands of God's law empowers our obedience to it. That's our second truth. True rest from the demands of God's law empowers our obedience to it. How familiar are you with God's law? What role does it play in your life? Are you a legalist, tirelessly trying to follow every letter of the law? Or do you see the law as obsolete and meaningless now that Christ has come? The law has great value for a believer. The Ten Commandments recorded in Exodus chapter 20 reveal the holy, holy, holy character of God. Therefore, when we internalize it or write his law on our hearts and walk in obedience to it, we increasingly become like him. This is the work that believers are called to do, not to be saved, but to pursue holiness. The power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, which we receive at salvation, makes this possible so that true rest from the demands of the law empowers our obedience to it. Have you responded to Jesus' beautiful invitation to rest? If not, hear him calling out to you afresh, come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. 
learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. That sounds irresistible. Jesus is a beautiful Savior. He saves us from our sin by faith alone. It is a gift of grace. When we trust in him, our sin-torn, embattled souls are at peace with God. This is the ultimate gift of rest, real, present, and everlasting rest. Who would be so foolish as to trade in this rest, the rest of God's gift of glorious grace found in the gospel, for the dark, depraved foolishness of this world. If you have, by faith, received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, are you still frantic, worrying, despairing, because this world is fallen, falling, and failing you? Child of God, don't be foolish. Let nothing in this world bewitch you. Trust God. Rest, true rest, is the fruit of salvation by faith alone. Please pray with me. Oh, great and gracious God. So many of us are weary and burdened. We thirst for rest physically and mentally, but this thirst pales in comparison to the rest that we need for our souls. We praise you because you are the fount of every blessing, including real, true rest. Tune our hearts to sing your grace. Increase our faith. Teach us to love and trust you more and more each day. Bid us come to you for refreshment, restoration, rest. By the power of your Holy Spirit, draw us to yourself. Do not let us wander away from you and your glorious grace. This I pray in the precious and powerful name above all names. Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen.